0: Every year, spring rolls around, we get ready for the celebration of our Lord's resurrection. We call it Easter Sunday. Uh, It's on March 27th this year. Sometimes it can be as late as April the 25th. But when we come to that date, we always focus in on the resurrection. And I got to thinking, there are so many people and so many unique events that surround the story of of Easter that... um, you know, to spend one Sunday focusing on those details just doesn't tell the story enough. And so today we're going to start a series called Risen, the unexpected moment surrounding the resurrection. We'll take a look at people and events that that took place in that last week of the earthly ministry of Jesus, whose lives were interwoven with our master's own glorious and climactic narrative. And so I hope it will give you a better insight into why we celebrate uh, Easter. We do that Once a year, but actually, actually we do that every week. Why else do you think the church stopped worshiping on Saturday, the Sabbath, and started worshiping on Sunday? It's because Sunday is the day of the resurrection. So when we gather on the first day of the week, on Sunday, we are actually commemorating the resurrection every time we get together. So this series will explore those marvelous, unique events that surrounded that last week in the life of Christ. Today we're going to talk about indecisive moments. And for most of my life, the word waffle was a noun uh, in the dictionary. Uh, described a wonderful confectionery that most of us think as breakfast fare. For me, I can enjoy a Belgian waffle any time of the day. By the way, did you know that the earliest irons, cooking irons, that gave way to the gridded waffle iron that we know today didn't have grids in them originally? They had Bible story pictures on the waffle irons uh, it's kind of a unique thing we've gotten away from from that but nevertheless the food is still good today's dictionaries listed also as a verb to waffle to be unable or unwilling to make a clear decision about what to do do you ever waffle i like this jimmy buffett quote indecision may or may not be my problem <laughs> mm-hmm. Are you indecisive? Do you struggle with even insignificant decisions like where you're going to eat when I stop talking this morning? (laughs) Do you procrastinate the important decisions until there is no time left and you have to settle for second or third choice decisions because you could not bring yourself to choose the most important when you had the opportunity? If that describes you this morning, you are certainly not alone. George Canning wrote, indecision and delays are the parents of failure. And we've seen failure throughout history. We see it throughout God's word in the lives of people that were trying to do what they should do. The truth of that statement, however, is no more clearly seen than in the lives of a couple characters that surround this last week and the closing days of the earthly life of Jesus. You know the characters. You will recognize them readily. But maybe you haven't thought of them in light of their indecision. Maybe you never have thought of them as wafflers. The first one you will recognize clearly a few years back when I was on my way to teach in Moldova, I was teaching a class on preaching out of the New Testament. We stopped in, in Italy, and we visited uh, St. Peter's Basilica. Uh, the Sistine Chapel was absolutely breathtaking. But I will, I will tell you the, the moment that, that impacted me the most, the moment that caught my breath away. We were standing around this railing, and when you looked over the railing into the floor below, there was a tomb there. And in that tomb supposedly rested the earthly remains of the apostle Peter. Now, I don't know if the body of Peter is there. I don't know if anybody knows 100% sure. Yes, the body of Peter is in that crypt. For me, it did something to me. To be that close to, well, just the earthly remains of one who I consider to be two of the greatest leaders of the church. I mean, just think, when Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? It was Peter that was first with the words, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter was the only one on that storm-tossed Sea of Galilee that got out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus It was Peter who was the first to actually walk into the empty tomb on that resurrection Sunday. John had looked in, but he didn't go in. Peter went in and examined that slab where the body of Jesus had lain. And Peter was the first to preach the gospel. Fifty days later, at another Jewish festival called Pentecost, and on that day, 3,000 responded to the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and were baptized, and the church began. There's no doubt about it. Peter stands tall in church history, but there was a moment, there was a moment of indecision, there was a moment when Peter waffled, and it cost him dearly. It nearly cost him everything. It was Thursday night after the Passover meal and after Jesus had instituted this supper that we just celebrated a few minutes ago called the Lord's Supper, where Peter had so boldly promised In front of all the rest of the disciples had so boldly promised that he would not deny Jesus. Why? He would even die for Jesus. And it was after Peter, James, and John fell asleep in the garden while Jesus prayed, even though Jesus had asked them to pray with him. And it was after Peter had tried to defend Jesus and walked off the ear of the high priest, servant, and Jesus told him to put away his sword. It was then that the soldiers hauled Jesus off to the house of the high priest, and the rest of the disciples just scattered like sheep. But Peter Peter followed at a distance, trying to see what was going on, and he entered the courtyard of the high priest. Jesus is inside the house. He can see him through the window. And something in that moment, in that courtyard, a a switch flipped in his brain or in his heart. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was fear of where he was or the feeling of, of being rebuked by Jesus for his swordsmanship. We are not told. But at that moment, Peter waffled. He became very indecisive. Three times, this ardent disciple denied even knowing Jesus, let alone being a follower of Jesus. He was so adamant about it that he swore an oath that he did not even know the man at that moment somewhere in the distance a rooster crowed and and Luke tells a story like this in chapter 22 just as he that is Peter was speaking the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Oh my, what was in that look? Was it, I told you so, Peter, kind of a look? Or was it simply a gut-wrenching, soul-searching look of disappointment? Of all the looks in the scripture, this to me is the most painful. Oh, if Peter had just been decisive about his allegiance, if he would really have been willing to die for Jesus, he would have spoken up and would have escaped the most painful moments of his life. If the Lord was here this morning in bodily form, I I, I wonder what kind of a look he would give to me. I, I wonder what kind of a look he would give to you. If we stood and peered into his eyes and he looked deep into our souls, would it be of look of joy or one of pain and sorrow? Does he truly have our allegiance Or would we, like Peter, waffle at the most important moments of our life? And Jesus would know that. When it comes to our spiritual lives, indecisiveness can be deadly. At best, it's always costly. Before 1961, the historicity of Pontius Pilate was doubted by scholars, but that year proved to be a pivotal year. An archaeological find now called the Pilate Stone proved once and for all that Pilate was indeed prefect of Judea during the reign of Tiberius. The gospel writers, all four of them, give us more insight into Pilate in this description of the time of Jesus' trial and crucifixion, perhaps more than any other historical documents that we have. And all four of the gospel writers agree that he was indecisive when it came to the trial of Jesus Christ. Now, the unrest of the Jewish populace would have made Judea a difficult place to govern. I I get that. As a matter of fact, Pilate's chief task was to keep the peace of Rome in this very volatile region. Jewish feasts and festivals were always problematic because the city of Jerusalem would swell with people from all over the empire as they came back into the holy city for these festivals and feasts. And so Pilate was especially on guard during those times, decisive in his actions. He was very clear. He did not waffle in his responsibilities, but this this time this Passover feast when Jesus is brought into his palace before Pilate for his judgment Pilate waffled Matthew tells us that Pilate was amazed at the poison the restraint of Jesus certainly there was nothing he could find that was worthy of death Mark tells us that Pilate knew that it was out of envy That the religious leaders had brought Jesus to him in the first place. He knew it wasn't real. He knew they were envious of the power and the popularity of Jesus. Matthew clues the readers in to another unique perspective. Only Matthew tells us about this. In chapter 27 it says while Pilate was sitting on his judgment seat. His wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Oh my that would weigh heavy on your heart wouldn't it? I mean, his wife had a dream about this man that he didn't know was coming before him that day. Oh, what does that say about the uniqueness of Jesus Christ? John's gospel highlights the conversation between Jesus and Pilate, a conversation about the whole matter of truth. Pilate knew in his heart of hearts what the truth was about Jesus. He was innocent, but he could not bring himself to to deliver a decisive, innocent charged to the to the um indictment brought against him so he tried a few compromises he sent Jesus to Herod Herod King Herod only wanted to be entertained by Jesus and when Jesus wouldn't entertain him he sent him back to Pilate so Pilate tried to flog him had him beaten hoping that that would appease the angry crowd but it didn't mollify anybody they continued to cry out for his death and then Luke Luke sums it up this way in chapter 23 But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided, he decided to grant their demand. He did not decide in favor of the truth. He didn't decide on the basis of good judgment. He didn't take in the extenuating circumstances. He didn't decide on the basis of the envy of the religious leaders. No, he followed the crowd. He waffled. How often have we done the same? If we are not careful, we tend to look at Peter and Pilate with disdain today, accusing them of having no backbone. You see, we're never impressed with wishy-washy commitment. People who waffle on their convictions do not earn our respect. Why, if I had been there in the courtyard, I would have. If I had been in Pilate's judgment seat, I would have. You'd have done what? Are you so sure that you wouldn't have said the very same thing that Peter said? Are you so sure that you wouldn't have waffled in in the face of truth, just like Pilate did. It's easy 2,000 years later on this side of the resurrection to point a finger of shame when I'm not sure any of us in this room really knows what we would have done when faced with the same situation. Have you always stood on principle? Have you never waffled on something important in your life? Does peer pressure ever get to you? Did you ever follow the crowd simply because it was the easiest thing to do? Before we cast too much shame at Peter and even the Roman prefect Pilate, we need to take a real good look at our own indecisiveness our own waffling. Because I'll say it again, spiritual indecision is costly, sometimes even deadly. Can I, let, let me just tell you this morning what we lose when we are indecisive. Indecision creates a lack of trust. We lose trust when we are indecisive. And trust is invaluable to any relationship. When you can't decide, when you waffle back and forth, when you vacillate on your choices, we leave broken relationships in our wake. The world's longest engagement was between Octavio Guillen and Adriana Martinez from Mexico. Apparently Octavio popped the question and Adriana said yes in 1902 when they were 15 years old. But one or the other just couldn't decide so they kept putting off their wedding day. They finally got married in 1969 when they were 82 years old. 67 years after Octavio popped the question, 82, why bother? (laughs) There was a trust issue there. There was a commitment issue, to be sure, but I think the commitment issue went back to a trust issue. Somebody didn't trust their own feelings. Maybe they didn't trust the other person. Who among this crowd this morning would wait that long? I can't imagine waiting that long. You would know soon enough that that kind of indecisiveness does not make for a good relationship. Can I remind you that some people never get around to embracing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This marriage, if you will please, between the Savior and a follower is is our pledge of allegiance to him. Some people vacillate and waffle and are indecisive for years and years and years. And because of that, they build up this lack of trust. When you cannot decide one way or the other, your life does not speak of any. If you say, well, I, you know, I, I, I do go to church. But what does that say to the people around you who know that you've never made any kind of commitment? You've never made any kind of decision that you waffle back and forth in these spiritual matters that are so vitally important. Does that not send a signal that Jesus isn't worth the trust? If you can't trust him after all these years, who among your family, friends, and acquaintances is going to be able to trust him by your example? What kind of trust in Christ are you inspiring or discouraging in the lives of other people? Because you see, indecisiveness creates a lack of trust. Indecisiveness also creates a lack of stability, indecision creates instability when we can't make important decisions anxiety creeps into our lives you worry and you fret more you're anxious all the time your stomach is always in knots because you can't make a decision and that the bible says is an improper attitude and way for a christian to act A study by researchers at the University of Bristol found that 47% of respondents thought life was more confusing today than it was 10 years ago. And 42% report lying in bed at night trying to resolve their problems because of their anxieties. In any given year, 18% of Americans will suffer from an anxiety disorder. That's one in five people. Our levels of anxiety have increased dramatically in the last 50 years. According to psychologist Robert Leahy, the average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average adult psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. The average child today, as anxious as adults 60 plus years ago. One thing that can ease such anxiety, I think, is choosing to follow Jesus Christ. Now, hear me clearly. Being a Christian does not solve all of our problems in life. As a matter of fact, it creates a few other problems. And there are some anxieties, and there are some issues that need medical attention. So if if you need medical attention with it, seek medical attention. All I'm saying is that when you're worried over all kinds of things, when you're stewing and you're fretting, when you vacillate between these choices in life, and you cannot decide, when you choose to follow Jesus, he said... Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Put me first and I'll take care of all these things. If you will decide for him, won't take care of all your problems, but it will put all your problems into the proper perspective. Being indecisive creates instability. Being a follower of Jesus keeps life as stable as it can be in a broken world. Here's another thing. Indecision wastes valuable time. Boy, when you go to the grocery store, variety can be a real time killer. Campbell's Condensed Soup. 53 varieties of Campbell's Condensed Soup. Even if you know which soup you're going for when you get there, it takes a while just to find it on the shelf. And if you don't know what you're going for, you can spend an inordinate amount of time trying to decide between 53 varieties of Campbell's Condensed Soup. I'm here to tell you, if you're an indecisive person, don't go down the soup aisle at the grocery store. Don't go down the cereal aisle either. Stick to the lemons. You only have a choice of one when it comes to the lemons. There you can find yourself. Now, you waste all the time you want to waste at a grocery store. But don't you waste your life waffling about Jesus Christ. The cost is too great. And when you get that choice right other choices fall in line. When you know him, won't matter what food you eat. You'll just be grateful that he has provided the food physically and spiritually. Indecision makes us unproductive. When we are constantly straddling the fence regarding the choices that we have to make or when when, when we are indecisive about the major issues of our life, we become unproductive because we can't focus on things. We lose our creativity. We're like an animal chasing its tail. We're exhausted, but all we've done is run in circles and we've gotten nowhere. You see, when you can't decide, you can't be productive at anything because you're always weighing back and forth the same thing. You're like, it's like you're tossed on a wave and you can't get anywhere. Just up and down it goes. The one thing you must always be able to control, the one thing you must always decide on is to be productive in life, to have a purpose in life. And that really does come in a relationship with Jesus Christ. During many conflicts, when prisoners are placed into prisoner of war camps, I don't care what war it may be, the enemy knows if they can destroy purpose and take away productivity, they have pretty much destroyed you. Viktor Frankl was a captive of Nazi Germany during World War II. He was a brilliant doctor. Everything had been taken away from him. Uh, Even his dignity, his family was was killed. And uh, he was locked in a prison cell but found that there was a way out of that prison cell without ever leaving the prison cell. And it had to do with a choice. He was not indecisive about choosing his own attitudes. This is what he said. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. Frankl discovered that no prison or enemy could force him to deny his will, to abandon hatred and and, and embrace forgiveness. To let go of ignorance and cling to learning. To let go of hating his enemy and finding a way to love his enemy. Those prisoners who were indecisive and waffled about who they were or what their purpose in life was were the ones that most often died behind the barbed wire. Those who chose with decisiveness their attitudes and would not let anybody or outside force change them were the ones that most likely survived. Your attitude that you choose will make you productive or unproductive. Your choice. Columbia researchers, Sheena Yingar, has found that the average person makes about 70 major conscious decisions every day. That's 25,550 major decisions a year. Over 70 years, that's 1,788,550 decisions. Albert Camus said, life is a sum of all your choices, what do your choices say about you? What do your choices say about Jesus Christ this morning? And if you're indecisive, what does that say about your faith as well? Last thing. <clears throat> Indecision calls into question our allegiance and our loyalty. This one to me is the most critical for us as a Christian. When my walk does not match my talk, when I act one way in here and I act another way out there, people have every right to question my allegiance to Jesus Christ what other means do they have to judge who I am if I am inconsistent in, if I am indecisive if I am a waffler when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ what does that tell other people about who Jesus is my lack of allegiance may be my greatest sin and yours as well. Well, following the resurrection, Peter got a second chance. And can I tell you that the apostle Peter was never indecisive again. He went on to preach and teach and help establish the church and history and tradition records that when it came time for him to die, he died a martyr's death and he was crucified. But according to church history, Peter said, I am not worthy to suffer as my Lord suffered. So he asked to be crucified upside down. No apathy there. No waffling there. He was decisive to the point of death. And because of that has inspired the church for the last 2,000 years. Pilate, on the other hand, didn't fare so well. A few years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he tried to squelch a, a rebellion and an uprising among the Samaritans, had some of their leaders killed, and then was so complained about that he was recalled to Rome to answer for his questions, had a falling out with Emperor Caligula. And, and history tells us Eusebius, the historian, says that he, he took his own life. He committed suicide. Some say that he kind of went star crazy before he committed suicide. Such is the ultimate outcome of those who can be indecisive and waffling about Jesus Christ. Where does your spiritual allegiance lie? What spiritual convictions do you hold to unswervingly? When people know you, is there any doubt where you stand with regard to your faith? We dare not waffle when it comes to our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you one supreme example of decisiveness for Christ. In the late 1800s there was an evangelistic explosion in the country of India. Uh, In places where the gospel had never reached it was beginning to creep in and it was just like a wildfire that started across a prairie. Provinces embraced Jesus Christ but those who were opposed to it began then to bring martyrdom to the young and early church of India. Dozens and dozens were martyred despite the opposition or Maybe because of the opposition, the gospel continued to spread. During that time, a Welsh missionary had his first convert. A man and his wife and their two children became Christians. But the village where they lived, the leaders decided to make an example of the husband. So they arrested the whole family, demanded that the father renounce Christ or see his wife and children executed. When he refused... His two children were killed by archers right before his eyes. Given another chance to recant, the man again refused, and his wife was similarly struck down with arrows. Still refusing to abandon Christ, the man himself was finally put to death and joined his family in heavenly glory. What was not there was any waffling, no indecision. The witnesses to that horrid event reported that when asked to recant or see his children murdered, this is what this Indian Christian said, I have decided to follow Jesus and there is no turning back. When his children were killed before his very eyes, he reportedly said, the world can be behind me, but the cross is still before me. And when his wife was pierced by the archer's arrows, he said, though no one is here to go with me, still I will follow Jesus. The Welsh missionary eventually got back to the village and lo and behold, when he got back there, he discovered that there had been a revival in the village where he had been preaching and where this family had first come to Christ. As a matter of fact, even those who had devised the the torture and who had murdered all of the family had had a conversion. They had come to know jesus christ and this this story these words were reported to the missionary who then took them to an indian evangelist by the name of Satu singh and singh took the the words of this martyr man and and put them to the tune of a very familiar indian song and it became the first original indian hymn of the christian faith and is still a staple of worship in india today an american missionary family heard the song brought it back with them to North America to Canada and to the United States and it wasn't long until this very song became a staple of our worship I remember singing it in church camp when I and several others decided that we were going to go into ministry today if you look in a hymnal you'll find that the tune to which we sing these words is simply called a psalm that's the province where these first martyred Christians died and gave birth to this marvelous song, the world behind me, the cross before me.